this Friday. Your favorite emotions are back on the big screen in Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. It's time to greet your Team Riley. It's anger. Let me at him. Fear. Safety checklist is complete. Disgust. Ew, ew. Ugh. Sadness is in the house. Oh, no. Hello, I'm anxiety. I'm one of Riley's new emotions. Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. There's a part two? We're going. Ready PG. Parental guidance suggested. Only in theaters Friday. Get tickets now. Welcome to Better Cast Saul, the officially unofficial podcast for Better Call Saul on AMC. I'm Jim. I'm Aaron. And today we're talking about Season 3, Episode 5, titled Chicanery. Mm, chicanery. chicanery. Oh, man, there's so much chicanery in this episode. It sounds like a New Zealand pronunciation for Sean Connery. <laughs> yeah. It's chicanery. That was his his surname in Zardoz, <laughs> actually. Nobody knows that. Uh, Zardoz chicanery. Yeah. Uh, what do you think of this episode? Um, so if you don't know, at the end of each week, Jim and I do this Bald Move Television um, podcast, and we do this kind of playful feature called Who Won the Week, where we decide ab- amongst the three big shows we're covering right now, Fargo, uh, The Leftovers, and Better Call Saul, uh, Who Won the Week. And uh, boy, Fargo and Better Call Saul just keep chipping away at Leftovers, and it keeps on slapping all comers. Uh-huh. After my immediate reaction on finishing this episode is, oh my god, I think Better Call Saul won the week. You do? Um, I do have some reservations and second thoughts that we can talk about later, but my initial visceral reaction, keeping in mind I I have the biggest hate boner for Chuck that probably (laughs) anyone has, was this was uh, an amazing piece of uh, filmmaking. What did you Mm think? Uh, Yeah, I also really, really enjoyed it. Uh, It was... It just I can't even stress how excellent the performance from Michael McKean is here. Like top to bottom. I mean his sanctimonious speeches about the law to himself and the windows uh, all the way down to, you know, the moment where he's caught out. They really um, paint him as a sociopath. They do. Yeah. Like I mean I know it's standard practice to kind of rehearse your legal speeches and sure. but but it's not a good look to catch someone, you know, delivering something, "Oh no, that's too cold." Yeah. And then... Because he's all of those things, right? Yeah. As he's saying them, yep, you're cold, you're sanctimonious. Like, yes. You are all of these things, Chuck. That's just you. Yeah, yeah. You can you can put the lipstick on the pig and see where it gets you. And, and then by the end of the, sh- the, the, the show, I almost say movie because it's so cinematic. Uh, at the end of the show when, you know, they just relentlessly pull in on this close-up of him mm-hmm. and then... He looks over to the the people of the bar, the panel of the lawyers in the bar, and he can see just how kind of horrified they are, and then everyone in the room, and he realizes what's happened, and then he he just tries to shove it back down, yeah. and it just makes him look more of a sociopath. It does, yeah. So, fuck Chuck, uh, vindication, <laughs> although I'm not sure, like, I don't, like, this. this was definitely courtroom theatrics, but I don't know... How much trouble Jimmy's still in? So that's the thing. I, I think, you know, Jimmy is not going to get disbarred likely, but right. he will probably be suspended. And I wonder what an unemployed Jimmy looks like. It probably looks like slipping Jimmy. Hmm. I don't know because I. So so even though I, you know, obviously I praise this episode to high, to high heavens. Um, however, the courtroom proceedings itself felt to borrow a word from Kim's friend a little baroque. Okay. And that 
I felt I, I don't know. It just seems to me obvious. If I'm, I, I keep thinking about what that uh, the the New York lawyer wrote in last week, where he's like, "Man, I would not touch this case. This seems like this is family fuckery at its finest." And even before Chuck had a complete meltdown, and Jimmy proved that his condition is all psychosomatic and that he might be crazy, like it just that just that's a plain reading of the facts of the case. Mm-hmm. This brother deliberately engineered something to provoke his brother into a reaction he knew he would have, and he had all these people to witness it. And yeah, it's I guess it's a crime, but it's a crime to kick down his door and and take a fire poker to his desk and destroy his property. Yeah, sure. but it's kind of like whenever I see a celebrity snap on a paparazzi who's been hounding them for, and and I, I I'm like, is that a crime? Right. Like, I mean, I don't want to go back to the bad old days, but there used to be a concept called like fighting words that like you provoke someone where you know, the, 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 the law used to recognize that we are kind of animals in a certain way and that there's the, the, the party that provokes someone into an outrageous response mm-hmm. has a little bit. And I know that's uncomfortable where it intersects in, in different ways, but yeah. I don't know. I don't know. And I'm not a lawyer and, you know, my code of justice isn't the law of the land. Thank God. Um, but it just felt like a lot of this stuff was just built up and built up and built up, and then they brought in Chuck's wife, and then they brought in Huel, which was awesome. Um, but I just wondered, like, man, this is a whole lot for a very little thing. And also, if 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 the the real problem is Jimmy committed assault and battery and armed and forced robbery, how does any of this directly deal with that problem? Yeah. Oh, you proved it's, Chuck is a crazy asshole. Well, you still assault assaulted him and broke into his house. Yeah. So I think where they're going with this is they're so this trial is not over, right? This hearing yeah. is still in progress as we leave it at the end of this episode. Right. I think they're gonna they're gonna start leaning on like here here's why I did this and the lie that I or the thing that I said on the tape is actually a lie, just like Chuck was lying about his condition, right? I mean, he's trying Obviously. to establish a pattern of Chuck playing up this condition in order to affect an outcome for himself. That that gets him out of destruction of evidence. And maybe maybe that's the thing. Maybe that's the thing that really is uh, is bugging the bar. And, and they, they they did a couple of things to suggest that. Where yeah. the guy's like, look, we do, this tape is important because... Um, mm-hmm. but, but I don't know. Do you also think... Because really what's on trial here is his ethics as a lawyer, right? It's not... It's not necessarily about, like, a crime that he's committed. Well, I mean, that's all kind of goes to it. If you committed felonious assault and and, and breaking and entering, then mm-hmm. that, you know. But it's more important the destruction of the evidence. Like, that yeah, speaks I to don't, his character as his respect for the law, I guess. Do you know – so here's the other thing that kind of um, after the pageantry washed over and I watched it again. Last week we talked about how we were a little bit bugged about, you know, Jim and Kimmy – or <laughs> Kimmy, Kimmy – Jimmy and Kim – uh, their little thing at the end where Kim, you know, makes a big deal out of the tape and Chuck's like, oh, it's going to be this, going to be that. And she's yeah. like, ah, bingo. I still don't get it. There was nothing around the tape at all. Now, maybe the bingo was we've got him so fixated on the tape that he's not going to. Uh, and, and maybe that explains Jimmy's multi-stage rope-a-dope that like Chuck was going to be ready for one or two. Mm-hmm. But like a complicated con within a con. Yeah. Um, that that is something that he he wouldn't be ready for. But I that's what I'm saying. Like the emotions and the theatrics were just right. The actual mechanics of how this stuff was working out, I'm 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 not too sure about. Yeah, I mean it hasn't totally played out yet either. So um, maybe we need to give it another episode before we say, oh, some things don't make sense, or I don't see where they're going with this. 
Yeah. Uh, but I don't know. It was still a great episode. Of the TV. experience of watching it was yeah. amazing. And I was just speechless after I, I got done watching it the first time. Are you ready for the recap? Yes, let's do it. I want to let everybody know what's going on at Bald Move this week because there's a lot. It's, it's packed this spring and early summer. I don't know if you've noticed. Uh, Seth and I recorded a podcast um, on The Handmaid's Tale, the first four episodes of that. Uh, the first three or four episodes of Dear White People on Netflix, and also we got a little bit of reaction from the first episode of American Gods. We hadn't seen the second one yet. That's going to be a recurring segment we're doing um, every other week. That's on a Bald Move TV at baldmove.com. We also last week released a, a segment called Quit Your Pitching that is an mm-hmm. exclusive club uh, piece of content where Jim and I make up titles of episodes of fictional TV shows, and we pitch each other what they'd be about. And we're actually putting a snippet of that on the uh, tail end of this podcast, if you'd like to enjoy that. Which one did you select? Hard Stalker? Uh, Hard Hard Castle and Stalker, Stalker, yeah. There you go. That's a good one. Uh, Last week, we also watched Guardians of the Galaxy and uh, had a first-run movie. We got another one next week coming out... uh, the Alien Covenant, mm-hmm. uh, and then the whole new summer lineup coming out. And then also Leftover Fargo, Better Call Saul, Lunch with Jim and Aaron, uh, maybe a commission podcast this week or next. Who knows? Too much, too much content for two humans to make, let alone one to consume at baldmove.com. Uh, check out what's interesting to you. All right. We start off with a flashback to Jimmy helping Chuck prepare his house for a visit from Rebecca who doesn't know anything about his condition, apparently. Um, And she, you know, they have a lovely dinner, and she ends up getting a call on her cell phone from her conductor, which she takes, and this, you know, freaks Chuck out, and he grabs the phone, and he throws it on the floor, which freaks Rebecca out, and she ends up leaving. Mm -hmm. Uh, And that's kind of the last time that they have spoken since then. Yeah. Uh, I actually really enjoyed watching this scene and trying to place it contextually within the the timeline of better call Saul yeah because there's there's a lot of questions right like Chuck and Jimmy are still on decent terms all mm-hmm. right Jimmy's here helping him out uh, Rebecca and Chuck though are not so this it, is somewhere between their divorce and the stuff that's gone down with Jimmy there was some debate about whether this was even post-divorce like maybe this was a separation and the divorce wasn't final which is why chuck was trying to decide whether he should wear the ring or not Mm -hmm. because because if you're divorced for any for any amount of time and and you're debating about whether to wear your wedding ring around your ex-wife i mean that is so desperate and thirsty that and weak that I, i don't even know what to say yeah, but I don't know that Chuck is not that person who's yes. trying to send signals without saying a thing. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, he's he's trying to show that I'm I'm holding a torch for you. Right. Um which actually is hundreds of candles. <laughs> um yeah. but yeah, you're 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 right. Um regardless it does seem like it is sometime after the dinner that we saw last year. Absolutely. And um we still don't know it, it, it so so how does this change how we think of the timeline? Because I know one of the early speculations was that Chuck's illness was caused by Rebecca leaving. Mm-hmm. And another one was, well, Chuck's illness was caused by Jimmy getting his law degree. They still seem like they're just playing this nebulous enough that you can't tell. He, he's yep. got the disease at this point. Um, he's hiding it from his ex-wife. 
Um, he'd rather look like an asshole than to show that he's got a mental problem. Um, but I, I wasn't quite sure about if that gives us more evidence about whether the thing was caused by his wife or his well, both his of, brother or both contributing together. I mean, both of those things have transpired already, right? Mm-hmm. So there's really no way it, it doesn't lend us any more insight into that, right? But Jimmy said also, you know, when he broke the tape, it's like, you know, you're crazy. No wonder Rebecca left. Implying that, you know, that his brother's behavior might have been getting kind of to extremes that that, that led up to that. Yeah, possibly. Um, I don't know. I thought, uh, uh, what did you think of the look? Because, number one, holy blue filter, Batman. Like, (laughs) Uh, I think think we might have said this last year because um, sometimes that that blue pass filter, especially when combined with uh, Charles's cave-like... Uh, setting mm-hmm. makes it very inky and murky looking. Yeah. Um, but I thought this was a really good looking scene. And listening to the Insider podcast, they got out their uh, Panasonic Varicam again, um, uh. which is capable. Like they they the they only lit it with candles, which is really incredible. Wow. Yeah. Um. And you can actually there's there's a if, if you're interested in technology you can if you Google like Panasonic Varicam uh, spelled V A R I um, low light test there they do a whole bunch of tests versus a conventional camera and then all the different ISO settings and it's just amazing what you can do with night shots and candlelight and stuff that you just can't do with a conventional camera. Yeah, I think they really needed it for Chuck's house because yeah. Chuck's house, like you said, has always been maybe a little too dark for the screen yeah. for my taste. And then when you start filtering it and doing things, right. it, it starts looking, yeah. Um, but yeah, yeah. Um, th- there's a lot of other stuff in here that happens. Like um, You get the impression that a lot of this is Jimmy's idea that the reuniting of Rebecca and Chuck is something that Chuck wants, but something that Jimmy made happen. Um, specifically, I disagree, but I want to hear your, your well, support. S- specifically because I don't think Chuck comes up with this plan on his own. I think this is a Jimmy plan. It has his signature all over it. And, in fact, if you believe that, and I, I don't know that there's like hard evidence to support that, but if you believe that, then it makes a lot of sense as to why Chuck would have immediately suspected that Jimmy tampered with that paperwork. Because in this scene, we find out that one of that the excuse that Chuck yes. uses as yep. to why the power's off is the transposition of an address. Right. So you can see where Chuck would file that away as, oh, this is one of Jimmy's schemes. And then next time it comes up, boom, he's on top of it. That's pretty good. I In my head, Cannon, Chuck wanted this to happen, and he, uh, you know, he's not practiced at lying and subterfuge and doing all this. So he brought on Jimmy as someone to help him out, and Jimmy's giving him advice like, "Look, are you sure you want to go this committed? Because my experience, the bigger the lie, the bigger the downside." And and Chuck is steadfastly ignoring it, almost like he's a consultant brought on to help. Yeah, but it wasn't his his idea. Okay, I, I guess. Yeah, I I follow that. It, it makes and, sense. And I think I think I that's think the scene what supports I mean, either but, interpretation. Uh, but that's kind of more what I mean. Like make it happen is is not the right word necessarily. But I I'm sure he made the phone calls. Yeah. He probably got in touch with her. Yeah. Maybe there was a letter. And sent. you can I don't see know. you can see how Chuck perks up when because she's obviously been traveling the world in her role as a can as a, as a very important symphony conductor. If you've yeah. forgotten what she does. Mm-hmm. Um, well, no, she's a. She's a violinist? Oh, really? I thought she was the conductor. No, because her conductor calls her. Ah, got you. Got you. All right. So she plays an instrument in a symphony. All right. Um, Flute, an oboe? 
<laughs> the 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 drums. <laughs> well, I forget what she plays. Yeah, a I mean, clarinet. We've a seen tuba. we've seen Chuck use a metronome, and there's a piece called the Rebecca that was was wasn't yeah. there. Like, and there I don't was, know. If on the, the okay. Uh, so does that say that she's a pianist? I honestly don't know, and it, it, it doesn't matter. Yeah. Um, I thought she, God damn, I thought she was a conductor. Anyway, um, he really perks up the idea of her wanting to lay down roots and set up a U.S. residency mm-hmm. after these years of, it seems like years of wandering. Yeah. That, that further your discussion about the chronology. Um, I also thought it was, that, un- I also well, is impressive. Oh, go ahead. I don't want to switch I, I was, subjects. Yeah. Let's, let's stay on that for a second. Does that imply that maybe the tension there was not necessarily all from Chuck, but it maybe was from both sides. Like she's being pulled away by this job. He yeah. can't, he can't deal with the time alone, I guess. Right. And just a loss of like, like the lack of control. Yeah. Um, and then I can see like, yeah, look, I'm, I'm, um, I'm going to go travel the world and you're going to stay here in Albuquerque and I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to do a long distance relationship open ended for years and years. It's dumb. Right. I want right. to get. I'm going to go. You know, pound some Spanish guys or <laughs> Chinese guys. Why would Chuck want to pound and, Spanish guys? Uh, uh, he uh, could uh, probably pound as many Spanish uh, uh, guys uh, Rebecca, as he wants. Rebecca, in Albuquerque. Rebecca. Oh, Rebecca. Yeah. Okay. She pounds them. Okay. Uh, but uh, I. So so yeah. I I I don't know how that 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 goes on. But yeah, I, clearly Chuck has control issues, and the fact that yeah. someone would be wandering the world in a successful career away from his fear would bother him. Mm-hmm. Um. I also thought it was very interesting how when he slapped a phone out of her hand and he covered up with like, well, this is just bad manners, how kind of – I mean, clearly the situation had been fucked up. Right. But she wasn't just like, you know what? Go fuck yourself. Yeah. Like I would be. I was a little surprised at that. Like like I don't even know – like if I – like if in otherwise I was in good terms with someone and someone slapped my cell phone out of my hands and said it's bad for him to take a phone call, <laughs> I think I'd be quick with the, you know what? Go fuck yourself. <laughs> Go fuck yourself with your missed manners and your salad forks and uh-huh. your goddamn Chilean sea bass. And I, I thought it showed how much esteem and affection she has that she just didn't immediately be like, you know what? Fuck you. Yeah, and also the pride from Chuck, you know, the unwillingness to sure. admit that he could ever be less than perfect. But that was also a linchpin because it was is a way to Jimmy to reinforce the fact that this was a mental situation yeah. and that Chuck knows it mm-hmm. because he says like, if this had been lung cancer, if this had been any kind of physical problem, you would have any problem telling your ex-wife about it. But ah, what, what, what is the difference between the electromagnetical allergy and lung cancer? Potato, potato. Yeah, indeed. <laughs> uh, I do like how in a sort of reprisal of the Mike gag from last episode, uh, Rebecca seems to be chasing him around the house with his phone. <laughs> yeah, right. Which I thought was pretty funny. Accidentally. And his yeah. his whole face, like, when he's mugging on that, I don't know. I liked it. Yeah. And I enjoy seeing Chuck suffer. Oh, yeah. I'm I mean, man enough I do to admit too, it. You know? It's it's not like I'm I'm pulling for Chuck or anything, but, yeah. Uh, I, the one other line from this that seemed important to me is when Jimmy says, you know, from his experience, the bigger the lie, the harder it can be to dig out. Um, and... And Chuck says, I'll cross that bridge when I come to it. And that bridge never came, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, up until this very episode um, in the courtroom or in the hearing room, that moment never came. Um, he never he never tried to dig out, and he just kept piling the lies on bigger and bigger. 
until finally right. it erupted in this. But it this does courtroom. connect the two family dramas because this was yeah. a minor lie and and caper that Jimmy pulled to help out someone that he cares about mm-hmm. and to preserve their business and preserve their standing at a very slight cost to someone else. So it's almost like it's it's all part of the same scam. Like he's crossing the bridge right now because right. something that he was comfortable in doing. Um, and I, I get it. It's a little bit worse to actually do this and and embarrass someone legally to get a job back. But on the other hand, you know, we could we could relitigate this whole situation, <laughs> right? But I thought it was really interesting how it kind of uh, uh, that that tied those two together. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, as much as Chuck would protest, they're somewhat similar. These mm-hmm. two brothers. The big uh, question at the end of this episode is: Does Chuck realize he's been beat and, and give up, or does this instigate an even larger countercon? Right. And where does it begin? Because, like Jim, this is an open-ended question. The bigger the lie, yeah. The the more the 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 more uh, the harder it is to dig yourself out. Well, neither one of them have dug out yet. So yeah. now what? Yeah. Uh, so Jimmy goes over to the vet to find someone with the lightest of touches who doesn't need to fit into tight spaces, and we will see who that is later. Now, you got that that was Huel immediately, oh, sure. right? Yeah. I'm like, oh, God. And so I like this kind of reveal mm-hmm. because they put this thing. It's very like, – like I enjoy seeing Jimmy build his tool set of all these yeah. nefarious underground. And, and the fact that we already knew from Breaking Bad that Huel had surprisingly light touch for a man whose fingers are the size of hot dogs. <laughs> right. And like all that knowledge goes in, and you're like you're anticipating it. Where you open a door and it's Raymond Cruz as Tuco, it's like right. okay, seems to be there only for the cameo. Exactly, but this this made a lot of sense, and I was fucking so excited to see Huel. Um, and when he finally shows up, I I just about exploded. It's awesome. <laughs> All right, uh, we will get there very shortly. Uh, Kim tells Mesa Verde about the upcoming press that they might see about Jimmy's case. And they think Chuck is just essentially refusing to own up to his own mistakes. And Kim reassures them that Mesa Verde isn't connected in any way to this case. Now, I'm not sure I agree with you, Kim. It's hard for me to see from where I'm sitting right now how Mesa Verde will be connected because Mm -hmm. how are they going to prove that Kim had knowledge of this caper and how could this reflect poorly on Mesa Verde? And even if it... Like like I the way I, I don't know who the 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 president of Mesa Verde is I can't remember his name, mm-hmm. but he came out so strong makes me think that even if Jimmy were disbarred and disgraced and every like he might just be like well this is just you know of course Chuck did this he's got all these powerful contacts and friends that he fucking bragged about and his thing and he shit the bed and he still he you know he can't take it like a man like I don't know that there's anything except they linger on Kim's friend's concern a little too long for me to think that this isn't going to come back on it. Right. What I'm worried about is it's going to come back on it and I'm just not going to buy it. Mm-hmm. In a lot of the ways that I there's I have some problems with the basic premise of the caper going on here. Okay. Like great television, but I'm uh, I'm not sure about the details. I, I I hope that there is a direct straight line like tightening of a noose that we're going to appreciate over the several episodes and then when it finally hits it's going to be like, oh my God, instead of like what? Yeah. I do think this is a foreshadowing scene. Otherwise, why even include it? It has to be. Yeah. Like, you can include it just because we'd wonder, um, but but the friend's concern at the end after it's already, after the baby's been put to bed, that's the thing that's got me scared for Kim and her career. Right. 
Uh, then we go over to the disbarment hearing, which begins with opening statements. Wait, no. Chuck and Howard need to prepare the room first. There you go. Uh, they they go into the hearing room and, and inspect it to make sure it will fit Chuck's needs. Uh, Howard tries to talk Chuck into not testifying. Um, th- this is interesting to me because I think Howard correctly suspects Jimmy's plan here. He doesn't think there's any any good in having Chuck testify because Chuck is a wild card. Right. To to Howard. Right. Uh, and you know that that card gets played eventually. And Howard, like he is deeply concerned this entire episode. Yeah. Like and 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 it seems like. He's entirely correct. If mm-hmm. Chuck had just let everybody else testify, it'd have been ironclad noose around Jimmy's neck, and you got clear criminal behavior and potential cover up. Yeah, and you know he is a liability in this case. I, I mean, that's the thing. Jimmy is essentially playing on people's sympathy here, right? Like right. Chuck says, he's been doing his entire life. Right. Oh, poor Jimmy. You know, right. uh, innocent, sweet Jimmy. Everybody loves Jimmy, and that's essentially where he's going with this case. Yeah. My brother hates me. Feel bad for me. Don't disbar me. Right. This is also the first of the many great homages uh, or, um, uh, I guess, love letters to great courtroom dramas. There's a quote from here from the the JFK. Uh, let the you know let justice be done, though the heavens may fall. Okay. Something yeah. that uh, Jim Garrison says as he's about to essentially put on trial. The entire government, United States government apparatus about on the assassination of uh, 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 JFK. So uh-huh. I thought that was pretty good. And there's there's others, but clearly, you know, Pete, Peter Gould and Vince Gilligan, huge fans of pop culture, and they love all this courtroom shit. And they don't for a court for a, for a show about a lawyer, they don't get to do a lot of courtroom drama. Yeah, I'm surprised. So they're like really flexing their muscles, and they're putting in all these little references and homages. And I I I, I thought that was a good one. Yeah, and one of the things um, that I heard in the Insider Cast is they liked the sort of latitude they had. This being a bar hearing right. instead of an actual court case. Right. Uh, they took some liberties. Right. Uh, so they had a little more fun than they might have gotten. Yeah, to it's like I, I think they're too professional that if they were trying to do a courtroom drama that they could just you know do whatever. Yeah. But since it's kind of a quasi courtroom trial, they're they're able mm-hmm. to do all the drama without a lot of rigorous research. Yeah. Which I think uh, uh, I, I think suits them suits them well. Uh, so the disbarment hearing begins with opening statements and Howard's testimony. Uh, Kim's cross examination reveals that Chuck blocked jimmy from being hired as a lawyer at hhm of course we already knew that but that that comes out to the court um, right to to the the panel of judges here i thought Uh, kim did a great job making smart objections and her cross and the fact that she blows apart the nepotism defense because you know like that's how does he say with a straight face with the with, with the H H and M and him being yeah. the lowercase H. That's her point. Yeah, yeah. It it gets him flat footed. and He can't do anything. He can't do anything. But I do like to. Fig- I I can talk about his other employment <laughs> at the firm Davis and Maine if you'd like. Yeah. No, that was excellent. <laughs> oh, that. And won't then be she's necessary. just like, no. Yeah. No, I don't Move, want you to do moving that. on. Uh, I'm going to lean on our legal counsel for this FMLA thing. I'm sure they have something to say about it. What this FMLA? I don't leave think so. Is. It's the Family no. Medical uh, Leave Act. Is that which, what it is? Okay. Which essentially provides, says that if, uh, you know, like it, it's mostly for, I think, uh, pregnancy or I guess uh, if you, but, but it's for essentially 
uh, if you have a medical condition that, that keeps you from working, they have to keep your job open for a certain appointed amount of time. And I think it's also, you know, like any other medical issue, confidential. Yeah. So that's the thing. Like Chuck couldn't say, oh, yeah, Howard or, uh, or, or Howard couldn't say, oh, yeah, Chuck went cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs over electricity and he's been living in a cave ever since and never sets foot in the office. Right. And as a require as a as a result of that keeps reams of confidential documents in an unsecured area. I mean that's there's been a little bit of talk about maybe what actually happens is the ultimate judo flip of Chuck being disbarred. Right. And and I, I don't know. I don't know. It's uh Yeah, I it, don't think the pieces aren't there. Right. Like, it's it's more so. This is what Howard is worried about, right? Th- uh-huh. This idea that HHM is somehow responsible um, or irresponsible, rather, with their documents and their chains of evidence and all kinds of stuff. Well, uh, and, and and also Chuck is just like, well, this is a PR issue, and Howard patiently explains how actually the opposite could be true. This could blow mm-hmm. up. This could be a public relations nightmare, and then it's like, well, the law is too important. He can just flip yeah. flap back and flip flop back and forth between those two rationales. All he and and it's it's uh, it's an argument that Howard clearly can't win. Yeah. Uh, so Chuck practices his description of Jimmy um, in the in the window at home, and the tape is played in the in the hearing room. Then the room is prepared for Chuck, who bumps into Huel on his way to the hearing room. This son of a bitch! Like which one, Chuck, Chuck. or Huel? <laughs> No, Huel's cool. Okay, uh, I'm 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 uh, I'm I'm tolerably pleased with with Huel appear, uh, appearing on the scene. Yeah, but like you know the fact that they just like they dim the lights, they take the clock off the wall, they've got like a primo spot reserved for him, so he doesn't have to spend any more time out in the sunlight and the electromagnetic radiation. He has to just like God yeah. damn this guy. I did wonder what the lingering on the reserve parking was was all about. I think um, it's just so beginning. you see what kind of red no. carpet treatment he's getting. Right, right. I, I wonder what it was about the first time they showed it, because when they showed uh, Jimmy and Kim walking in, right. now it, it all makes sense when right. Chuck pulls up. And, and it has you I, – I will say all this stuff with Huel and Rebecca, like it even had me guessing. Mm-hmm. And then when they had the flip-flop of Jimmy having his phone but no battery, I'm like, what the fuck? Yeah. Um I, I but but it yeah it's it's well I don't want to yeah in the end it all makes sense we'll talk right. about it um so <laughs> Huel here looking you know his head looks as Hewlish as ever mm-hmm. his head is maybe even a little bit more mountainous mm-hmm. uh but the man himself has become I would say a large hill rather than a mountain <laughs> uh which is interesting because so the actor has lost some weight. Mm-hmm. Which means the character put on a shitload of weight right. in the time between now and Be- Breaking Bad, right? Which I think is pretty hilarious. Yeah, I mean, I I am happy for the guy because, of, from all accounts, he's got a medical issue and he's lost like 150, 200 pounds. Yeah, and that's all good. Um, but for Huel, the character, he the, I, I, I don't hashtag not my Huel. Yeah, well, you know, the thing is, it's like ah. Uh, Ah, um, I, I, I read Alan Seppenwall's review and he's like, I hope they make some kind of gratuitous mention of the character eating and people being concerned about him gaining weight. And I'm like, I don't need I it. don't know if that's the appropriate thing. And if you think about this guy's real life struggle, if that's actually, I mean, I'm sure Seppenwall didn't think about all those angles. Uh, and God knows I've said stupider things, but, 
I mean, I'm I'm fine with poking weight at you know Odin Kirk, you know, losing a bit more hair and, and getting older because that's something we all go through. But you know, this guy's uh, he's fighting a good fight, so I yeah, I don't need the mentions of him eating sandwiches. No, constantly. I'm but... I'm good with Hewlett any weight. Yeah, yeah. And the less they say about it on the show, I think is the better, as far as I'm concerned. All right, Chuck gets on the stand. His condition is brought up, and he's asked if he hates his brother. He says, no, no, of course, I love my brother. Uh, he's just bad for the law. And they take a short recess during which Rebecca shows up. Chuck realizes what Jimmy's up to, but it doesn't stop it from goading him into showing his true anger at his brother when Jimmy demonstrates that his illness is all in his head. And this is kind of the final the final scene here. It's all It's a long scene. Yeah, I thought them getting Rebecca was going to be putting her on a stand so she could testify. Like, And when they showed yeah. his outburst at the phone, like, oh, this is a slam dunk. But it's, it's kind of... Um... It's a you know as as we had this written out but written to us but I also got it right away it's it's a Frankie Pentangelo kind of a factor from The Godfather where you bring this relative that's supposed to be like you know supposed to put you on notice mm-hmm. and you know Frankie Frankie uh, Five Angels gets it right away uh, Chuck just bullies ahead in fact I think it's funny how from Rebecca's perspective, Jimmy's work calls and he's worried about his bro- her brother, his brother and all this is all this is the truth. And you need to come and he's having his disease and he hasn't told you because he's too proud and Chuck immediately starts going on and saying, "Well, that's just my brother trying to take advantage and oh, oh it's not going to And Rebecca, she must seem she must think this is lunacy. Mm-hmm. And when when Kim says, "You know she's going to hate you after this." I'm like, "Why?" From her perspective, this is just Chuck acting like a fucking crazy person. Yeah, but if you, if someone used you, manipulated you into a scenario where you were sort of the linchpin of a case that brought down someone you cared about, I think maybe maybe you get a little bit. But what's the evidence that she's actually used, being used? Well, I mean, the whole point of having her there is to rattle Chuck, which he he points out. He knows. But it works nonetheless. That's what he asserts, but he asserts a lot of crazy-ass things that I don't think. But I think he's right in, no, that, I, in that scenario. There, here's the hell that is Chuck's existence. <laughs> he is, when he goes on this long mono, monologue about Jimmy yeah. and how crazy he is and, and how, and how diabolical, bi, diabolically he is, he's entirely right with the possible <laughs> exception of him robbing his parents blind. Possibly, but we just don't know. We don't know and, like... That's going to be a big, you say, linchpin. It's going to be a big linchpin in the season because or in the series because either Jimmy has been robbing his his parents blind since since the beginning, mm-hmm. um, and it's worse than the fact that he saw his father as being weak and his father being taken advantage of, and he's like, you know, why not? That this is like some kind of like really malicious thing that bankrupted his father, or that's the original sin that Chuck made up. Mm-hmm. And that is the thing that caused all the, the, the fraternal friction. And it's going to be whether you see Saul as fundamentally a terrible person or a flawed person who didn't ever have a chance because his, his brother just never gave him one. That, I think the series is going gonna, is gonna to hang on that. I hope Jimmy's innocent of that original crime. And, you know, you can then see him being pushed into his box by his brother throughout his whole life. Mm-hmm. If not, I'm going to have to reevaluate how I feel about Jimmy from from the, the, the bottom up. Sure, yeah. Uh, I actually saw a really, what I think is a really good analysis of Chuck on Reddit. Um, and it's something that we've kind of hinted around at 
uh, over the years. But I think uh, it was especially spot on because you can imagine a scenario where and you don't even have to do much imagining. You you mm-hmm. see a scenario playing out on the screen throughout their history where Chuck um, kind of values his identity as the opposite of Jimmy in a lot of ways, right? Because he's seen, you know, the Jimmy constantly gets away with all these things and everybody loves Jimmy and uh, he doesn't receive the same attention. And so he tries to be the exact opposite of Jimmy. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Jimmy's always breaking the rules, so Chuck goes the other way and says, I'm going to be the guy who always follows the rules. He's older brother. Why is this a rea- I think I think Chuck is what Chuck is, a cold kind of detached person and has no, like, he wants to be loved But imagine you're the older brother and your young baby brother is getting all of the yeah, attention Yeah, it's fucking Cain and, and Abel. It's literally a story as old as time. Like, right, so, so what? Okay, okay <laughs> so now imagine that that same person that you've spent your entire life being the opposite of becomes you one day and takes your identity from you. Yeah, you should... You becomes should, a lawyer. Of might, course that would enrage that, you. That might take years of therapy to, to unravel, and you might become a better person rather than retreating into the <laughs> the the armor of shit that Chuck wears. But, but you have zero empathy for this character. Zero? Entirely no empathy for Chuck as a human being. Um, I can't understand that. I don't... Yes. An adult taking a childhood grudge into adulthood and not having any sympathy towards Jimmy, I do have a hard time empathizing with that. Okay. I think it's natural. I think that's what people do. I do think that's what people do, but also... And I don't think they're in control of it. They can just make the decision not to do it. I I also think that, but like, also fucking get help. Mm-hmm. Like if this is an albatross around your neck that's like taking you down to the to the bottom of a dark place, then then fucking fucking get some help. And 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 I guess the other question is uh, obviously obviously I... Chuck has a real mental problem, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Like like this this psychosomatic disease. Um, I don't think it's it's as cynical as people say it. Like like that he can just. Uh, I I think he can play it up a little bit, and I think he can you know. Uh, play it down i don't think those are all at his conscious control either i think mm-hmm. the man is sick and he needs some help and and also jimmy's been an enabler if you want to like really muddy the waters so it's no i guess yeah, but- I, I don't have no sympathy from chuck i'm just saying that goddamn it's a pretty maladaptive living strategy that he has decided to take with him into advanced middle age rather than trying to fix at any point in time sure like, I, I wake up call after wake up call i totally agree with that but i don't like I also think the same is true of alcoholism or any drug related problem like there are so many conditions that you can have that it's easy to say just go get help like yeah. like make the fucking adult choice here and just fix your fucking life right that's easy to say it's not easy to do yeah so i I try to look at it at a balanced perspective like I do have sympathy for the addict or for sympathy for the person who's is dealing with a personal or emotional issue, but I can also say you know people can and do overcome these things, sure. And, you know, like uh, something my therapist said is um, an adult is entitled to all the pain in life that they want. So when you've had enough, well, then you can say that you've hit rock bottom. Or you've had a wake up call. You can describe That's that as thing, yeah. you can describe that as very many ways. Like, but uh, eventually a person has enough and says, you know, enough is enough. I'm going to try to get help and it probably won't work the first time. And it's going to take a lot of hard work. But until you start that journey, you're still just on this downward spiral. So. Yeah. I guess my feelings, like I said, are, are, are complicated. Like I have, I have sympathy for those people, but also a little bit of you know when when 
uh, it's also not like I have sympathy for the drug addict, but I also really feel for the parents that they've stolen, you know, they've taken this, their, their child in for the 13th time and he's stolen their silverware, you know? Sure. Yeah. Like like, it's a shitty situation all around. Yeah. There is room for like Jesse. There is room for pitying the, the genetic and socioeconomic status to put the person in the room. And there's also, there's also room for personal responsibility. Sure. Um, and also hashtag fuck Chuck. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah i've because this is a i don't like anything show. this chuck isn't is a real person so fuck chuck um so yeah i don't like anything he's doing either but you know i and try sanctimonious trying to like, contextualize everything you know oh it's like a peanut allergy oh it's like aids and hiv and no one's discovered just yet and all you know like here's the thing that, dr- that drives me crazy about chuck since we're on the subject this guy's got a fine legal and analytic mind, and he's never thought to do some double-blind experiments on himself. Like, <laughs> doctors aren't fucking listening to you, so, like, why don't you? Why don't you sure. try to start, like, you know, trying to figure out the state of the art of this thing? But he doesn't because it's not a real, you know, because it's a mental issue, and we go around and he's right. pitied and fuck Chuck, so. <laughs> uh, yeah, so the thing that I think is the end game here is to completely dismiss this tape as evidence of of any kind of as evidence honestly of the crimes because what chuck says here during his cross examination is that this was just a piece of play acting theater I, and i don't and see and the exact same thing applies to jimmy and i don't see why that's a hard sell it's not and i think next episode that's going to come into play i think that's the end game like I, I do think that that's like even without all this fucking theatrics like here's the thing the, all this theatrics attacks the legitimacy of the tape mm-hmm. it doesn't do anything about the ensuing crime now right i don't know how the justice system works because i think that it would work on principles that like a common man would be like oh yeah that's the way it works out but so often it, it's not but i don't see like and then maybe the 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 bar panel can be like well in in full 360 degree view of the facts like while right. he did commit a crime this is not a crime of like you know this isn't a criminal trying to conceal his actions this is a frustrated brother who tried to do his brother a solid and his brother further retreated into his delusion. Absolutely. And this is a guy who's like, you know what? It's, it's, you're not going to fuck up my life and my career over your craziness. Yeah. I don't know why we needed all this theatrics to get to there because it just seems like that's also a plain reading of the facts. But because if it's just a factual nature, nothing's going to change the fact that Jimmy broke into this house and took a, a, a crowbar equivalent vandalized his dresser, broke the thing, and advanced menacingly on Chuck before he was stopped by a private investigator and a concerned partner. Right, I don't you, think you that's pull, the key, though. Okay, if you pull in the emotions, then you didn't need any of the other shit because it's just a plain reading supports the fact that this is a bunch of bullshit. So, again, not a lawyer. Also, hashtag fuck Chuck. I just, I just don't... That, well, that, that, I, that's I the think, problem I have with all this. I think the thing that they're really trying to get at, and they mention it in the episode, is... Is this tape actually evidence? Did Jimmy right. actually try to destroy evidence? And that's right. the ethical problem they have here and the thing that would actually get him disbarred. So if they can establish that this is not evidence, in fact, and that Jimmy busted in because he felt betrayed by Chuck um, at, after he was trying to help him by telling a lie that made him feel better, mm-hmm. I think then they can say the tape isn't even evidence of a crime. Right. Because just like Chuck was acting to get me to admit to the crime, mm-hmm. I acted when I said... 
that I committed the crime in the first place. Right. Because, look, my brother is insane. He was doing insane things. Right. I was trying to help him. And I think right. they're, they're one step in a two-step process of, of explaining that whole situation. Yeah, and I know the law has room for, you know, shades of nuance. Like, I, it, it reminds me of, like, this, this whole, like, you know, the court issue that the president's having getting uh, this travel ban enacted. Like, mm-hmm. if you look at the document itself... It doesn't say all Muslims are banned. Right. But if you look at his promises to where I'm going to first thing I'm going to do is enact a travel ban of all Muslims. And the judge is like, look, I'm not an idiot. Yeah. This you can't sit there and like put a travel ban and say it's not about Muslims and then say that this is fulfilling a campaign promise to ban Muslims until you get it all, quote unquote, figured out. So I, I do understand that the legal system is not as black and white and as stupid as I often like make it out to be. But. It's just I, I just it's weird. It's like if this is based on the two brothers fighting in a squabble, I don't even understand why we're here. Mm-hmm. It's based on the letter and the law, like like because I it does seem like the law does expect the citizens to. I, I've seen it time and time again that the law expects the citizens to have almost inhuman control over their their emotions, mm-hmm. um, and people you know get brought up on charges for shit that they did in a in a moment that no one really got hurt about and and. Yet it's like, well, you know, you, you, the jury's like, well, they they imagine I wouldn't do that in that cer- cer- situation, and like bullshit. How can you say? Yeah. Um. Anyway, fuck it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm this close to going on a rant about how we don't really have control over interactions, and science shows that we react and then rationalize it in our brain seconds afterwards, and then yep. you know. What are you going to do? Are we living? No one, it? no one can, can, is can there any, an objective can reality? Can anyone be responsible for anything they do? Why right. is the what's the crim, the point of the criminal justice system? Yep, you know, etc. Uh, these are all things we're going to save for House of Cards. So. <laughs> uh, so let me ask you this: Were you bothered at all by Jimmy being able to cross-examine Chuck? I think this is where the Gilligan and Gould cloak comes in, where yeah. they're just like, this isn't a real this isn't a real trial this is Mm -hmm. co-counsel and and also it sounds like because so um peter gould's sister-in-law is a lawyer for maine i think and they actually had a uh they actually had a um a disbarment process that they watched all six hours of it and this woman lost it but she represented herself Uh so it seems like you know, I don't know how things work in New Mexico, and also I don't really give a shit. Um, I it, it it crossed the barrier for me. Now, lawyers watching this might be like, I don't know, what the fuck? We've got yeah. a couple feedback about that, but I, I didn't have a problem with it. And they did promise some latitude for the cross-examination sure. earlier. If anything, I thought... I, I, it seems like it, like the whole plot of this is, is a real David and Goliath, that maximum latitude and understanding was extended towards Chuck... Minimum latitude and understanding was uh, was uh, extended to Kim and and Jimmy, and they they mm-hmm. made the most of what they had. Yeah, uh, you know, uh, like I mentioned before, great performance from Michael McKean in this scene, but in quintessential Breaking Bad style, I love mm. how they do this time and time again. They introduce in what is a extremely emotional and dramatic scene just a hilarious line the best line of the episode in my opinion he defecated through a sunroof <laughs> right and it's just like all <laughs> this amazing stuff we know is absolutely true but it just sounds right. like the ravings of a madman that you're totally you're connecting things he did as a nine-year-old boy with 
Like, and, and oh, with that billboard, you're going to tell me that man fell off by accident? Pah! Like They don't even know about that. I know, now he's just ranting. It yeah. just sounds like a person being crazy. It does. And not play acting at all. No, not here. Um, so, yes, that, 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 that was really great. And also, um, this is something mentioned in the Insider Podcast. We also have feedback on it, but... But uh, here, you know, uh, a lot of modern audiences will recognize this kind of, like, emotional breakdown from, like, A Few Good Men. But also, um, I watched a clip of the climax of the Kane mutiny with Humphrey Bogart, and there's a similar issue where the guy just, under relentless cross-examination, gets him to forget himself and reveal how kind of fucked up his worldview is. Yeah. And what was really – I'm glad I watched the clip, too, because – it's almost like beat for beat how uh, Chuck, um, how how Chuck was 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 played through this. The yeah. the, the, the Humphrey Bogart playing Captain Queeg, um, it was very similar, very similar into the beats, into the camera work, and it, like it felt like a very o- overt homage. Yeah. Um, and that's the thing. I mean, you know this this plan is working despite Chuck realizing what the plan is and and actually like the cell phone thing i thought was pointless to do the you know the reveal oh here's a cell phone and then here's a battery but i think that further serves to throw chuck off guard because chuck thinks he's caught him out right like chuck is on high alert for this kind of shit right i'm on to you yeah the cell phone let me see that thing oh it doesn't Mm -hmm. have a battery in it Right. Of course, just another gag right another chicanery and it's another thing that he could not um, it's just another layer of armor that he put around the plot just because, you know, right. Chuck is looking for the, the naked con and then the hidden con. And then there's a con on top of the con. He didn't see coming now. Yeah. And an, an interesting historical fact is that this director, first time director for both better call Saul and leftovers, Daniel Sackheim mm-hmm. directed, um, both of the episodes of this week. Really? Leftovers. Did he do Fargo? And no, I, I don't. I well, we'll see. I, okay. We'll see. I, I, I didn't. I, I don't know. But I just love the way he chose to like push in on mm-hmm. Chuck. So he's just like his. He's just swelling with rage, and his face is getting bigger and bigger. And then once you see everyone's reactions, they pull out and make him look very small. Mm-hmm. And then also frame him from behind the exit sign. Which right. is now buzzing and menacing, and and that uh... it's almost like throughout the episode, these exit signs have been imploring him, have been you know begging him to leave right. this room. It's they're like don't a, come in here. Yeah, they're like a cautionary right, and then dead end sign. and then he sort of realizes it at the end. Maybe I shouldn't have done this. Yeah, yeah, but the man can compose a shot. Like yeah. he's. Um, Maybe he is the one who won the week, Daniel Sackheim. Okay. I mean, you can't go wrong with those two shows. Right. And they both had really stellar ends um, this, this week. Very, very yeah. cinematic and, uh, and, and, and cool, cool. And, 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 like, they also talk about this in Insider Podcast, how they've got this kind of boring government building that they found in this room, and it's very static. But just a mere, like, when Chuck t- takes the stage... Mm-hmm. All the lights shut off, and it gives us like this, like arch comic book villain. <laughs> like now, everything is dark and drab, and it, it 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 makes the room feel completely different than when like Howard's testifying or whatnot. Yeah, um, I thought that was really cool, and it's something that they just kind of backed into. I mean, that's the amazing mm-hmm. thing. I was talking to uh, someone on in the feedback. I'm not going to read their um, message, but he's like, you know, 
how long did the Villa gang know about the, you know, like what Rebecca's role is going to be in this and how, and, and the answer is they don't like yeah. coming in this season. They had no idea when Chuck and Rebecca got divorced, how their relationship was now, whether Chuck's illness was caused by that, what her relationship was to Jimmy. Mm-hmm. They just knew what they had committed to film and, you know, their characters and they work backwards from that. They get where they want. And it's really, like they're these gifted improv artists that just keep making shit up, but it makes it seem like they're fucking geniuses. Yeah. Like, oh, shit that they set up, you know, blah, 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 so many seasons <laughs> ago in another fucking television shows. No, they're just they're just students of their own history. And that's right. why they're so – That's why, they, and they give a shit, and they care, and that's why it's so good. Yep. Anything else? I think that will do. Okay. Why don't we get into some feedback? I am here to tell you – about the fantastic deal that is club.baldmove.com. You're really going to have to sell it to me. I'm I this this commercial is taking place at a stately pace because <laughs> we've done a lot of research and we see that fans of Better Castle appreciate the slow burn <laughs> that leads up to the payload of enjoyment. Mm-hmm. If you go to club com. Not only do you get the smug, Chuck-like satisfaction of supporting independent and free uh, podcasts, the, the pinnacle of human civilization, the fact that two, two, uh, two middle-aged white men can have their voices heard on the internet free of any kind of legal or, or, or sponsorship uh, encumbrance – like only you can make that happen, and it, it's it's something to be smugly satisfied. But but you also get a lot out of it, um, leading up to what I'm here to the the, the pitch that you presumably you'd be excited about. We got this thing we do every first Wednesday called Quit Your Pitching, and uh, Jim and I we go to the internet and there's a there's several generate random television show name generators that you can generate random television show names with. See how I just kind of they're like, aptly named, really. Like, like I, I took what I said before and I repeated mm-hmm. it, mm-hmm. and it's just to keep the stately pace going. Are you using the rule of thirds? Is that what I'm hearing? It's rule of thirds, okay. and uh, we we generate these names, and then we just without any kind of preparation, we turn on the microphones, and we pitch them at each other, and we cut out the crap, and we keep the gold, and we deliver it to the club members. Uh, we've actually s- take a snippet, uh, which was uh, hard hard castle and stalker. Mm-hmm. Uh, where we we cast Brian Dennehy opposite of uh, fan favorite uh, John Leguizamo. Uh-huh. Uh, he's got a bionic leg. Well, his name Leguizamo. Te- Texas so. Texas uh, Walker Texas Ranger comes in for an assist at the end. There's roundhouse kicks. Uh, if you think it's funny and you want more, you can go to club.baldmove.com. You get a little sizzle with your steak. You get a little Jimmy with your Chuck. Uh, hashtag fuck Chuck. Uh, but mostly club.baldmove.com. Uh okay, uh Jesse K on your latest podcast, he's talking about last week. We got a few last week. You say there's no concrete way to determine the year it's taking place, but a couple episodes ago in Jimmy's arraignment hearing, the court docket number is read CR uh, 2013. Blah 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 blah. Criminal docket codes in New Mexico as well as other states <laughs> have the year of the criminal charge. Thus, they deliberately are saying the season is 2013. That can't be true. That's impossible. Yeah, because Breaking Bad takes place in 2008. And and the one the one thing Vince and Peter aren't super close about is their his, their cultural references because um, if you go if you go if you search for Breaking Bad chronology 
you'll go to or Breaking Bad timeline, you'll go to the official Breaking Bad Wikipedia that lists no less than thirteen timeline inconsistencies. And one of the glaring ones is right. when a person mentions about oh, they, uh, in the final season of Breaking Bad, they didn't have this much trouble tracking down Bin Laden. Yep. When in Showtime, Bin Laden would not be tracked down and killed for another two years. Right. And there's a lot of things like, you know, there's a poster that says that Los Polos Hermanos is the best burrito of 2010, even though it's really, really 2009. Mm-hmm. They fuck up. They're not perfect. Yeah. So that's just another one of those what you call fuck ups. Yeah. Uh, because clearly this is I think we've, we've, we've talked about this as this is like in a 2001 kind of timeline. Uh, so, um, that's, that's official and everything else is just an inconsistency. Uh, Joseph S took issue with our being, uh, coy about Nacho and who he's working for. Nacho's obviously working for Gus. I mean, come on, the knowing looks passed between the two of them and Sabrecito should be enough. But if we think back to Mike's attempt to kill Hector, the connection becomes obvious. It explains how Gus ever becomes aware of Mike. Nacho tells Gus about him. Nacho is clearly intentionally blocking Mike's headshot at the behest of Gus. Oh, clearly? <laughs> clearly. Nacho is smart enough to know that Hector's branch of the cartel is heading for a swifty mice, so working with Gus would provide him a safe landing place when Hector's branch inevitably implodes. My prediction, though, is that Hector finds out about Nacho's betrayal and has him killed, and during the attempt, either Mike or Gus attempt to save Nacho, and Hector is paralyzed as a result. Okay. What you have there is a theory that has a lot of stuff going for it but it's not obvious nor clear nor anything like that Um, i mean i think the one thing that makes it some yeah i don't think it is clear actually i mean i think you're right i think that nacho is working for gus but there is no direct that you have a lot of circumstantial evidence and also it would make sense for him to do so uh because he wanted he wanted him to he wanted the mic to kill uh, or put Tuco away and then kill Hector, and then that would solve his problems. And when he didn't do that, what would a smart, resourceful guy like Nacho do? There, I'm making some theories, but I don't. They're not. They're not proven yet. And um, you know, you're probably going to be right, but also maybe Vince and Peter have something else up their sleeve. Um, but I just want to you know point that out that like. I think you're right, but there's the difference between, you know, a theory and and what's actually obvious and what's actually been proven. That's all I want to say. Yeah, in a show about ostensibly the law, uh, circumstantial evidence other than my own will not be considered. <laughs> uh, Andrew from Cincinnati. I, every week I think, oh, it's the last of the pea foods theory. No. And every week someone sends in something. Mike wasn't even read. in this one. <laughs> Uh, hey guys, for um, I wanted to say that the Mike Peeth Foods theory is even more technically not dead, as an apple <laughs> is actually a group of food known as a poem. Right, it's in I the same this. family as pears, so the same way that if you were eating raspberries, you could say berries. Eating apples, you could say he's eating poems. And he links right. to a Wikipedia article that, yeah, apparently pears, apples, they're all poems. So is the that, pea theory is still alive. Is that... Is that related to the pomegranate? Might. Might. Because poem is actually the French word for apple, I guess, as well. Mm. And pomegranate, Uh, of course, means granite apple. Yep, means stone, rocky apple. Yeah. Because they're just not worth eating. (laughs) They're not. It takes so much time to fucking prepare them. Yep. 
And also, I know that's not necessarily true because I've seen the YouTube video of a guy breaking down in five. I get it. I get right. it. I'm making a joke. <laughs> Moving on. Lisa W. I've seen somebody break down a cow in five seconds. <laughs> so I just saw some Maori dude strip down a coconut with his fucking teeth in five seconds. It was crazy. <laughs> It was crazy. Wow. It's like it's like in the Fantastic Mr. Fox when Mr. Fox was eating toast. Uh-huh. Like I'm like, gee, how how many teeth did you leave behind in that husk, dude? Yeah. Woo. That guy knew how to break down a coconut. Okay, Lisa W said just finished a podcast for three oh four. While you talked a little about Kim's social engineering game to suss out Chuck's home repair appointment, you didn't mention her finger hovering over one entry in the yellow pages, Lenny's repair. Cause I this this reference is too old for me. I don't have the proper context to talk about it. What do you mean? Isn't Lenny the repair? Isn't that the vacuum repair, uh, vacuum cleaner? Oh, is it? I thought it was a reference to uh, an old TV show. Flowers for Algernon? No. (laughs) (laughs) No, I can't remember the name of it because it's before my time, but. Oh, I thought, I thought it was, I thought that was the name of the guy's vacuum cleaner repair. It might be. Yeah. Um, so if it's, if there's a deeper meaning and I'm wrong, then, uh, double dumbass on me. Uh, okay, Chris B. from Yorkshire, Yorkshire, uh, recently went to watch Gus's reintroduction or introduction to the Breaking Bad, but obviously because it's that good, I'm now up to mid-season four and sleep-deprived because of it. Yep, that's what happens. That's what happens when you start a Breaking Bad binge. Yep. Anyway, it got me thinking, given all the cameos which are appearing now, surely is a good shout-out for a future one. Could it be anyone's favorite coffee-making vegan, Gail Bodecker? Um... I, the problem is, as we've hmm. mentioned last episode, you've got about four years of heel cooling before you even get to Breaking Bad's timeline. Right. And I used to be really excited for, for Walt and Jesse to show up in the margins, but when when I actually started looking at the intended timeline and how much space is there to go, you might get a picture you might get some Walt cameo as a high school chemistry teacher, but unless we have a huge time jump between one of these seasons, you're just not gonna see, you know, Walt and Jesse dragging Saul out to the desert. You're not gonna see you know, you might we might see um uh Bill Burr's character. Mm-hmm. Uh because, you know, like that's one of the things I'm really enjoying is seeing Saul pick up all these guys and, you know, the uh, Jim Beaver's um, gun dealer, like that stuff is all fair game. Yeah, but actually, you know, contemporary guys like Gail Bedecker, um I mean, you could see him, but he won't be, he won't be Gus's meth cook, right? right. I, I mean, yeah. So we know that he built out. No, he didn't even build out the lab, did he? The super lab? Yeah. No, I think he designed it. Because we should, we see him like I think. Okay, he we see him des- unpacking all the crazy. I think he stuff. literally designed the space, the space because all that stuff is in his his lab notebook. I and guess it we depends see him on unpacking the stuff. I think, hmm. I think. Um, so my recollection is Gail is the beneficiary of one of Gus's scholarships. Mm-hmm. Um, so Gus tapped him just like he did Max to like cook this meth, and he said, "Hey, Gail, if you wanted a super meth lab, what would it look like?" Right. I guess I don't know when that happened exactly. Yeah. How long Gus had been in business before Walt. And that's the other thing that's goofy about Breaking Bad is, you know, if Gail just wasn't so enamored of Walter White's product, the 99.1% pure, none of this would have ever happened. (laughs) Right. Gail would have been happily cooking coffee and and meth under the New Mexico 
you know, laundromat for who knows how many decades. Yeah. I mean, the other cameo we could see is Lydia. She's hovering around there somewhere in Gus's operation. Yeah. Uh, we could see the neo-Nazis. Like, that would be an acceptably fun cameo. See uh, Uncle, Uncle, what was his name? Uncle Uncle Hitler and uh, mm. d- 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 Devil. Meth Damon. And Meth, Meth Damon. Yeah. Meth Damon might be too young to plausibly make a cameo. He might be, yeah. Because Jesse Plemons ain't getting any younger or svelter. <laughs> so these guys are just pest control at this point, right? Like, no, that... They- they go in under these tents and they just steal stuff. But I don't think that's the neo-Nazis. They were not Vomino's pest control. That I thought that's where he got the idea for it. No, he got... I think... Oh, that... Ooh. You think Vomino's pest control is a neo-Nazi thing? I thought Jed, that's just where the uh, meth demon was working because he's too stupid to join the gang. Oh, you think so? Yeah, I thought so. <laughs> oh, poor meth demon. Yeah. Um, uh, I don't even remember his actual name from the show. I, Todd. Todd. Okay. Fucking Todd. Yeah. yeah. Uh, all right. Let's move on, or we'll just get we'll just fall down a Breaking Bad hole like yeah. uh, uh, poor Chris did. Uh, Jeremy R. from South Carolina. If you had lung cancer, would you have told her then? Maybe one of my favorite lines of Better Call Saul so far. Hmm. Oddly specific reference. Uh, while I'm not positive of the reason for bringing Rebecca into, or I'm sorry, let's not make that a question. I'm not positive for the reason for bringing Rebecca to court. Was it to prove the condition was a result of a mental breakdown from the divorce? I didn't quite get the complete payoff there. Maybe there will be further implications in the future. I mean, the the payoff there is just to rattle Chuck. Yeah. It, it, it makes him angry. And even though he saw it coming because of the the the, the, the multi-stage rope-a-dope, yeah. he couldn't entirely shrug off the, like, the stress and the tension from that encounter. I mean, that's the thing. The whole reason this is happening is because Jimmy continues to get away with his schemes, right? And so he gets away with yet another scheme right in the courtroom in front of everyone, and that just sets Chuck off. It's beautiful. Is this a true turning point in the Jimmy Chuck storyline? Do you guys think that there will be another end of Chuck, or this is the end of Chuck, and we'll now focus on how Jimmy moves on past his brother? Or is this another battle in the long war? The final shot with the exit Hmm. sign seems to signal that Chuck is done. I kind Hmm. of hope... So, but I'm now thinking, what if Chuck doubles down and goes even crazier trying to bring down Jimmy and he gets himself in the con that might get himself killed? Because yeah, you go, because Jimmy had to go to the criminal underworld to set this con up. And yeah. if you go on a bigger con, eventually you're going to start hanging out with more and more unsavory characters. And I don't think Chuck is ready for that. No, he's not. He's uh, he's too soft and not nearly street smart enough to navigate all this bullshit. Right. And too prideful and uh, all the reasons it wouldn't work. Uh, I, I, I don't think he's done yet. I do hope he's done after this season. That's the thing. It depends on how this, this turns around on Chuck. Um, I could see him potentially being committed. I could see him going harder here and maybe not in the criminal way, but like trying to go after Kim now. You know, Jimmy really stuck it to him with Rebecca. Right. Uh, now I could see Chuck trying to stick it to Kim just to get back at him. How can he do that? I don't know. I mean, the, unless he this idea that, that Mesa Verde is not connected really seems ominous. But it's not. It's connected through I know. Jimmy, but not through Kim. Yeah, yeah. And I don't know legally where that sets, but it seems like, you know, um, 
if someone commits a crime on my behalf that I did not ask them to do, how can that like is that some kind of bullshit fruits of the poisonous tree or like if I bought if I buy a stolen merchandise not knowing it's stolen, someone shows up and says that's stolen merchandise, they can still take it from me. Mm-hmm. So I know it's not an ultimate shield, but you know, surely there's fucking limits to that. Yeah, I would think so. And I don't I don't see the wheels that could turn here to make that possible, but that's why Vince is they could craft so good. Them. Yep. David from North Carolina. Uh, I've officially taken the Walking Dead bald move tactic of listening to your podcast but not watching the show. <laughs> Two years ago when this show started, I was so excited because I thought I was going to be about the high-paced life of Saul the sleazy lawyer for the underworld. I didn't mind season one as a bit of a prequel, but now it's been two more seasons, no Saul. This has also been one of the slowest burning shows I've ever watched, and I just can't handle it. I feel like the biggest error was not making the spinoff show around Gus because this seems to be what people care way more about. Plus, Mike's storyline could easily still have been told, which people also like. I don't think anyone wanted a Jimmy McGill storyline. You seem to, you two seem to still be drinking the Kool-Aid. It's actually a margarita today, but <laughs> close. Uh, how would you guys pitch the show to someone who has never seen it or has bailed like me? I, My stock answer is, why force yourself to watch something you don't like? Sure. Like, um... I have my blind spots. Like, people say Americans is one of the best shows on television. I don't like the experience of watching the damn thing. Um, if someone tells me, like, I, I'll tell someone that, like, okay, if you want to watch The Wire, watch the first three or four episodes. And if you're like, then why why force yourself? People are like, oh, what? I, I've got through the first season of Leftovers and I'm not hooked. What should I do? Stop watching the fucking show. I think mm-hmm. it's the best thing on television, but if you've seen the first season and you're not getting it, then you're not going to get it, man. It's And that's fine. Like, so much of this bullshit pop culture wars we get into is people just not wanting to admit that not everything is for everyone. Right. Uh, if I were going to pitch it to somebody, I would I would make it a much more grounded drama pitch as opposed to, like, this is Saul Goodman, you know? Mm-hmm. This, is, this is a battle of two brothers, one who is a con artist, the other who takes the law very seriously. Um and they have a deep history and they are constantly at odds. And, you know, if, if that kind of drama sounds interesting to you, then go for it. Uh, if it doesn't, I don't think that saying this is the journey of Jimmy to Saul Goodman is really going to change that because he's right. I mean, in as much as this show is named better call Saul, it is kind of the exact opposite Mm -hmm. so far. (laughs) We haven't seen a damn lick of Saul other than who Jimmy kind of is. And, and Saul is just an extension of his personality at some point. But if if you're watching this without having watched Breaking Bad, what does Better Call Saul mean to you? It's a commercial that that aired once in the pilot, I think. Yeah. Like you see Gene watching a Better Call Saul video that right. obviously he made. Right. When and, he was a younger man. And that's not to say that you can't enjoy Better Call Saul if you've not seen Breaking Bad because obviously every time we say something like that people write in and be like yeah sure but if Which, you I think you're gonna have your fucking minds blown when you get around to Breaking Bad but right. um, the other thing is um, it's yeah it's just it's just a different show and I'll say that like as much as I like the Mike and Gus stuff and as much as I gus, gushed over the Gus stuff last week mm-hmm. I think this is the best episode Breaking Bad or I'm sorry Better Call Saul's ever had um 
because it was a slow burn and it finally brought something that we've been wanting to see for a long time, which was Chuck and Jimmy just really go at it. Mm-hmm. And for Jimmy to beat his brother at on, on his own turf. If you can't appreciate the drama of that and why that's kind of awesome in the exact same way that, like, Walt whipping up some explosive crystal and blowing out the windows of some, you know underworld hideout is in season one then i I don't know what to tell you um that's a perfectly fine attitude to have it's just you know you either get the slow burn and why why the slow burn is it's it's fucking tedious and it's trying and it's it's something that you have to kind of train yourself to like 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 super black coffee or espresso or like really hoppy beer but once you get there and you see the payoff it is can be much more powerful than something that's just like an action-packed hour every single week. Yeah. But it's not for everybody. Right. It's like Cincinnati chili. (laughs) It's not for fucking everybody. Um, John K. I usually like to have the obvious setups pay off right away. So when they ended up the previous episode with Kim saying bingo and not filling us in on what the plan is, I was bummed but gave them the benefit of the doubt. All right. I'm gonna pre- I'm gonna go ahead and uh, drink this guy's milkshake. I feel like we discussed this already. Yeah, I'm still not sure about the bingo. And it could be like if if we never see anything else, I'm going to assume the bingo is that Chuck thinks that everything's about to tape, so he's going to not be looking for the multiple sucker punches we got coming from it. Right. Hopefully, we'll get a little bit more clarity. But if not, I'm gonna go with that theory. Uh, our our buddy Barry G. Uh, while the courtroom scene had definitely a few elements of a, a few good men, it was also strongly influenced by the Kane mutiny, and he sent me the YouTube link that has the final three or four minutes of Humphrey Bogart losing his shit over a duplicate key for the strawberries that his men made and stole, and just you just uh, you substitute electromagnetic allergies for a man juggling steel ball bearings in his hand, and it's pretty much a, sh- a shot for shot remake. Uh, also, shout out to my friend Laura Langston Zachek, who is a retired court reporter and has spent years working as background. This was her first SAG role as the court reporter in her this episode. Oh, okay. Got a got a got a got a line from way back in the back. Did we can hear you, Chuck? <laughs> I think was her tone. I don't know what the <laughs> uh, I don't know what the court reporter shorthand for hashtag fuck Chuck is, but that's what she <laughs> typed. Uh, Eliza V, quick observation about the Walter maybe poison Gene theory discussed last week. The initial criticism is that Jim saw Gene would be too deep undercover for Walter to track down him down to poison. However, in season five, episode fifteen, uh, Saul and Walter are both camped out in the basement of the vacuum repair cleaner store. Mm-hmm. During this scene, Saul says to Walter, "If I'm lucky, a month from now, best case scenario, I'm managing a Cinnabon in Omaha." Yeah, but you take that guy seriously at that moment. It's a lead. <laughs> I mean, so let me let me throw this back to you. Uh-huh. Yes, that does seem like just Saul's trademark bullshit, but it also comes true. It does, but it's a Saulism. Like if I'm like Walter White doesn't take seriously most of the shit that Saul says. Right. Like he suggests a nail salon. That's that's a serious suggestion, but Walt dismisses it completely. If you wanted to track down Saul, would you dismiss that or would you at least check into it? I don't even know if you remember it. Mm. Like, he's got so much other stuff to be concerned about. Getting his money to his kid. Chemotherapy in a cabin in New Hampshire. Um, Okay. 
The setup for the theory is there, but I don't like it for two reasons. One, it's a sloppy job by late Walter White standards. What if Jimmy decides to buy lunch? What if Walt, Saul survives and it backfires on Walt, interfering with his plans to wrap up his affairs? If he wanted Saul dead, it seems more likely Walt would sneak into Jim's apartment, wait for him to get home, and ensure the deed was done before leaving. Although that's not really late Walter White style either. Yeah, he's a little more cavalier. Yeah. How many times did Walt actually shoot a person dead? Like Mike? Mm-hmm. Uh, he also killed a those Nazi. dudes he ran over. He killed those dudes he ran over. In, right. Uh, well, yeah, he did shoot a lot of Nazis yeah. at that trunk job. <laughs> Withdrawn. Uh, really, his car shot the Nazis. That'd be like <laughs> Michael Knight taking the fall for Kit shooting up a bunch of people. <laughs> Late season five, Walt is too damn good to not kill his target. If Gene collapsing at the Cinnabon is actually the character's death, why the hell have we followed him for one full sequence at the beginning of every season? Uh, fair point. Fair point. Uh, on a totally different topic, I'm a little nonplussed by tonight's episode chicanery. Don't huh. get me wrong, unlike many viewers, I'm enjoying the stately pace, and I haven't felt bored with this show for even one minute. But I don't see how Chuck's humiliation during the bar proceedings is going to help resolve Jimmy's current predicament. Even if Chuck's credibility is ruined in the context due to mental illness, I don't see how that gets Jimmy out of trouble at the bar. There's too many other witnesses to Jimmy's crimes. Um, I agree, and as you pointed out, this hearing is not over. Yeah. It is at a very pivotal point. Um, at least I don't think it's over. What if they come back next episode and they just assume well, everything's resolved? The state now? bar did rest, so their part of the case is over, except for maybe their right. closing statements. So maybe, but it does. I just feel don't think awfully, they sealed the deal. It does feel awfully unresolved and unfinished. I think. Yeah. Um, Michael and Costa Mesa. I thought it was interesting in how Chuck's practice testimony, he mentioned Ted Kaczynski, the right. Unabomber, in comparison to Jimmy. If one of McGill's brothers would carry out crimes against humanity as in a response to modern technology, I'd bet on the tong-wielding electrophobe over the TV commercial <laughs> savant. I thought that was pretty funny, too, because famously the Unabomber's brother is one who turned him in because he recognized the handwriting... Uh, huh. And also knows his brother was a fucking weirdo, so yeah. he turned him in, and he's trying to draw a connection. And he's the luddite, right? Like it's. I I thought that was a really smart reference to make. Uh, Sully from Boston, great episode. Chuck references Perry Mason, but I also thought about the Godfather and a few good men. Uh, in the Godfather parallel, Jimmy purposely creates a break within when his ex-wife appears, giving the opportunity for Chuck to escape with his dignity intact. Um, that's. That's an interesting interpretation. Did you see that one Reddit thread that was trying to recontextualize this as an entirely benef- benef- benevolent take on Jimmy? Uh-huh. They're like, oh, this wasn't a ploy to get Chuck emotional. This was Jimmy's genuine concern for his brother and that since he wouldn't be able to take care of him anymore, he needed his ex-wife. That's that's drinking the old margarita aid right there. Yeah, let me guess. They, they used the sort of satisfied look in the flashback that Jimmy gives as a supporting evidence. <laughs> like when, when Rebecca and Chuck are having kind of a moment, right? You, you see a close up of Jimmy in the kitchen going, I did a good thing here. Right. Look at them having fun together. Yeah. No, they are saying that that's the reason that intro was right. there is to serve as, right. as, as a, as a bookend for the thing that he does later in the episode. He's literally still in uh, all this, trying to get them back together. Come, Talk about being in the on. tank for Jimmy. Come on. Yeah, it's too much. Come on. I get it. Hashtag fuck Chuck. <laughs> fuck fuck Chuck. But come on. Come on. Um, then also like Nicholson's Colonel Jessup 
uh, Chuck is baited and unmasking himself as Chuck confesses his form of code red vengeance on his brother and retribution for a lifetime of transgressions. Chuck aptly describes Jimmy as doing the worst things for reasons that almost seem noble, just as he does an even worse thing for reasons he can only rationalize as noble. I did like that analysis. Uh, we got a couple more before the legal corner. Uh, John H. Did anyone else get a strong Walter White vibe when Chuck was delivering his lie to Rebecca about the reason for not having electricity? It smacked the same sort of desperation, a proud man willing to create a complicated fiction simply to hide his medical or psychological condition from the oh, woman he loves. I mean, if there's ever a story of digging yourself deeper with lies, yeah. Yeah. it's Walter fucking White, right? But same way, like, I always thought it was interesting how he... He would spin this elaborate air per, airtight lie. I mean, if you're going to lie to your wife, which I strongly encourage you not to do, <laughs> uh, fucking keep it simple, man. Don't add a lot of obviously verifiable details that can trip you up. Uh-huh. Uh, just, yeah, come on. Um, I can see Chuck poisoning a kid or blowing up a nursing home, but do you think this is a sign that he could go even darker in his battle with Jimmy? Oh, I'm sorry. I can't see Chuck. I could because hashtag fuck Chuck. <laughs> but um, I, I I like this. I like this. What do you think? I think he's got a second cell phone. <laughs> I think Chuck actually has a cell phone. He's had a cell phone his whole time, that son yeah. of a bitch. Yeah, it's hidden in the other drawer in his desk. It's mm-hmm. a Hello Kitty cell phone. It's, it's hidden <laughs> That's in where his... Jimmy gets it. It's, it's... <laughs> <laughs> He's hidden in his other breast pocket. <laughs> it is. He didn't know about it. I think it'd be funny if he showed up in the court with like a Bluetooth earpiece in his ear. <laughs> right. Uh, Chuck. Um, Met this guy in the hall. Oh, if Ken Wins had been the guy that implanted or oh, that planted the, like a headset on him. Mm, Ken Wins, even in, uh, in, in state disbarment court. Um, it takes a light touch to put an earpiece in your ear without does. knowing it. Oh, really? A light, yeah. professional, discreet touch. Uh, I do think that that's one of the ways this can go. Chuck just going even, like, like really getting into the mud. And I've been thinking ever since that emailer sent that in about, like, Jim Jimmy pleading with his brother, get down in the mud with me, Chuck, and how that's exactly what's happening. Yeah. Um, I could see him going even further into this and it ending very, very badly. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, Doug L. in the writer's corner. Says, I suspect you really enjoyed the schadenfreude of this episode, even though the writers are smart enough to ensure that even Chuck's comeuppance was still tinged with pathos. Oh, boy, did I. In any event, rather than parsing the little legal issues of individual pieces of the hearing, I thought it might be more useful to discuss the Perry Mason moment. The Perry Mason moment is an incredible thing to witness, and they do occasionally happen in trial, but they are not very common. The reason is that lawyers do not want to hitch their success at trial, uh, to hoping their opponent will react as planned when confronted with some surprise. Yeah. Trials are about trying to minimize risk through thoughtful preparation. We've all heard that chestnut that an attorney never asks a question he does not already know the answer to. Now imagine confronting a witness where you're cu- uh, counting on an unknown answer so good that the entire case falls apart. That's not to say witnesses do not come unglued on the stand or that surprises do not happen. I've seen both. But in my experience, that is something rarely that you can engineer. Some of the best advice I've received as an attorney was not to worry about hitting home runs. You're better off just hitting a string of singles. Then when it's time for the closing argument, you take all those little pieces of evidence you've collected and put them together in a way that perhaps the opposition did not see coming. It's death by a thousand cuts and not one sledgehammer. So what happens next? It seems clear Jimmy will be not be disbarred entirely, though that could be uh, still be sanctioned to some lesser extent. 
even uh, since even if it was not proven that he knowingly destroyed evidence, he unquestionably broke into Chuck's house and destroyed something. Mm-hmm. As for Chuck, it's entirely possible this could trigger a co- competency hearing for him, perhaps paving the way for Howard to oust him from HHM. Mm, we'll have yeah. to see. I do. We haven't talked about that. I do think they laid a lot of groundwork for that ouster at HHM. Totally. I mean, Howard. Howard has already been dubious about the motives of Chuck. Uh, across the board. I mean, we've seen it in his house when he's hired, hired the private eye, like um, over the years with the, you know, this claim of nepotism. We, oh, started, we, this, we started this fucking show with Howard trying to force out Chuck. Right. Uh, and it does feel like that's about to come back around. Right. Um, yeah. And I, but I, I, I agree. Um, the, the, the core of the case was never to fucking tape. And they made that clear over and over and over again. So now, I guess the question is, Does Jim, it seems like even Chuck knew that even with him breaking in, that maybe, and we heard that from the lawyer last week, that it seems more likely that you know someone would get a, some sort of suspension or official disciplinary action and not a disbarment. It seems like that Chuck even knew that it was going to take the tape and him connecting the dots, and him carefully explaining the history to get a full disbarment. Mm-hmm. What seems likely is that Jimmy is going to, you know, get get ousted. Or not yeah, get ousted, suspended. get some kind of censure or something. Yeah. Okay, so that's that's that the legal corner draws our draws our feedback bag, our feedback to the, a close. The strings on the top of the it, feedback. It cinches it shut like a, like a tiny little sphincter. What kind of – are uh, we using Velcro fasteners or do we have – Oh, no. It's a zip, string. It's a string? It's a string. Okay. Uh, and uh, – but 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 what's going to dribble out is the tiniest uh, little uh, spoiler section. It's mm-hmm. going to be essentially uh, us talking about the next time on, which we don't normally do because who gives a shit? But this is a big one. Uh, if you haven't seen it, then uh, you know it's now a big one, uh, and you just need to stay away. If you have seen it and you want to, you want to hear us geek out about it a little bit, then uh, follow us on to the spoiler section. All right. Also, apparently, there's some kind of preview of Club Bald Move content coming up too. Yeah, I guess so. So uh, there's there's all that uh, until, but that that's it, uh, and we'll see you next week for another exciting episode of the Alpine Shepherd Boy, <laughs> known as Jimmy McGill. Uh, We'll see you then. Until then, I'm Aaron. I'm Jim. Bye-bye. Okay, we uh, for the first time, Jim has seen the promo for next week. And I always watch them, but we don't usually talk about them. This one is a big one. Do you want to talk about why? I mean, it's Uh, a crazy preview in general, but there's a a real hammer at the end. Uh, Max Arseniega is going to get all his hair pulled out. That's apparently a thing that's happening. Uh, if you don't know our pal Max Arseniega, he's uh, Crazy Eight from he season one, and he also had um, a, a little cameo from last season as well. Yeah. Uh, no, the big thing is Cam at the end saying Saul Goodman. Yeah. And title of the episode is Off Brand. Uh huh. So the question is: Is this going to be the long-awaited? And there's a lot of things going on here. Um, Chuck is being squeezed by Howard. Uh, Jimmy's being squeezed by Chuck's ex-wife. Rebecca, yep. Nacho's being squeezed by Hector. Mm-hmm. Crazy Eight's being squeezed by Nacho. 
specifically a scalp. It's just a it's just a giant juicing operation. It is, and we're going to see uh, the, uh, the 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 New Mexico University film crews being squeezed by Jimmy. Mm-hmm. Um, it it seems like one of the things that we've speculated is that Chuck will agree to let this go if Jimmy stops practicing under the McGill brand. Okay. Yep. Explaining the title off brand and explaining the Saul Goodman. Yeah. But we know that, like, you know, obviously, uh, Jimmy, uh, I mean, for, by his own accounts, he says that he took this name, among other reasons, in the original chronology of Better or Breaking Bad because it's a more Jewish sounding name. Uh-huh. And the longstanding and, and probably racist connotations of, uh, you know, Jews being lawyers and bankers and whatnot, uh, mm-hmm. agents, et cetera. Uh, is that what we're seeing? That this is going to be the end game? That Chuck's like, you know what? Fuck you. You can practice law, but you can't do it with my fucking name. Yeah, but I, I don't see the leverage that Chuck has at this point. Like, it depends on how the case turns well, that's, out, right? That's, that's why, you know, like our buddy Doug L says at the end, at the end, he's still guilty of this crime. Right. And Maybe he can pull some strings. Maybe he offers to, like... Talk to the bar and see if right. they can like go the easy bar on him. Saying that, like, you know, maybe they'll suspend your license for a year. What are you going to do if you can't? Like, are you really going to saddle Kim with a year's worth of expenses that you can't help her at? You can't even. I'm assuming if you're suspended, you can't even like do paralegal shit. I would imagine. No. So, or I can make this all go away. You can do whatever the hell you want. You right. got to be Saul Goodman. I can see that. Yeah, that's his leverage. Now, what does that do to one's commercials that have established you as? You know, all American hero Jimmy McGill. It also explains why they got the New Mexican uh, University film students back uh-huh. out because making now he's new doing, commercials. And it's going to be. Uh, I, do you think it's going to be a sharp, a, a sharp left at Albuquerque? Uh, the quote Bugs Bunny that like it's going to go right from all American. You can tr- a name you can trust to. Oh, I fucking wrecked my car drunk. Better call Saul. You know, is it going to be just like right to there? Or is he going to try to do the name you can trust shit to, to start with? I I mean, he's still got the elder law practice, right? I mean, he's still doing that thing. So I does think it's he, going to be a little softer of a turn. Does he? Kim's got his elder law practice. Well, she's got some real. of it. I mean, he's he's still got elder clients. Yeah. Um, and that's kind of his his fallback here. Yeah. So maybe a soft soft turn. Although I'm kind of rooting for a hard turn. He's got the elder clients. He's got uh, Cthulhu. Uh, Shub Sugaroth, uh, the Elder Gods. Oh, Elder God. Okay, I thought that's what we're talking about. It's like what kind of law? It's like what kind of unfathomable, cosmically horrific <laughs> uh, legal issues would they struggle with? Send feedback to BetterCastSaul at baldmove dot com. Um, yeah, I'm. I, you know, like we we just talked all this uh, about like, well, who knows when Saul will show up? But it might. He might. Uh, might show up next week, in which case I do. Do I send out the bat signal to uh, to um, uh, yeah whoever it was that uh, tell them the show's back on. Yeah, here, here's why you start watching. Uh, Saul Saul has reared his ugly 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 head. He, I, yeah, it seems Dave. like it seems Dave, like he might. Dave start watching again. Yeah, start watching next week because because Saul's back. I'm excited. All right, well that's it for for good now. Okay. Hardcastle and Stalker. Even this is the way, like your generic buddy crime. Even drama, the way I right? said Hardcastle and Stalker, you can tell it's a, gene- a generic buddy. Okay, we definitely need to pick the actors. I mean, so, that's the most important thing of any crime drama show, right? So Who, Hard Hardcastle sounds like a real fire plug of a man. Like he does. he's just like uh, 
Um, who, who's uh, Vic Mackey from The Wire? Yeah. Or not? <laughs> yeah, the Wire. Vic Mackey from The Wire. <laughs> from The Shield. Uh, what is that guy's name? I don't know. He's like he, the the pro, the thing with him is that he's like five foot nothing. Yeah. So like everyone sells him oh, as this. Then I got the perfect pair. What, what's the second guy's name? Hardcastle and what? Uh, Stalker. Stalker. Yeah. John Leguizamo. Is the stalker? Yeah. So yeah, you're going he's a small guy too. So like uh, Michael Chiklis. God, that's Chiklis, his name. Yeah. Uh, so you're going for like stalker creepy. Not stalker like hunter or right and like kind of cat. annoying and just yeah okay John John he, he'd give Howard Castle a real you sure hard you don't want to get his cousin here Leguizmo <laughs> Leguizmo like Leguizmo like Wasamo nah I, he's he's already got enough work we're gonna bring John back in who is the other guy that was like in a bunch of old late eighties movies that uh, he's like uh, Brian Dennehy. You know, the oh, guy from, yeah, like, yeah. Cocoon? Uh-huh. Yep. Like, I think he's a good hardcastle. He would pair be a good well. He'd pair well with the Leguizamo. All right. I think what you really need is you need that odd couple feel, right? Yeah. You need, like, hard the castles. straight man and the ridiculous bozo. He's he's literally a hard ass. Like, he's yeah. just uh, this uncompromising, angry dude, guy. And Stalker has one leg. <laughs> Because we got we have to give him quirks. I mean, we can't just do a straight up. He's crime John Leguizamo. <laughs> he comes out of the box like loaded with I bet with you, quirks. John Leguizamo. He John Leguizamo came up with the idea. Give me, give me one leg. Just take away one of my legs. You know that's going to cost a lot, John. We're going to have to CG that. Yeah, I don't care. What's it's so, part of my character. I've built it. Does into he have him. a bio, like one of those uh, you know carbon fiber spoon legs? Or does oh, he have... yeah, he's got like a first generation one that he can't, <laughs> can't really control all that well. Okay, all and, right. Or, or maybe it's the ones that like last for three months and then your nerve cells get coated in this this what residue. The fuck? Have you heard of this? No, uh. Uh-uh. Yeah, so apparently, like the the prosthetics that they've been testing on people, like stop working after a while because really? like your nerve endings, the receptors get they like, get like coated in or some kind of. Yeah, some kind of residue. Wow. And so they just stop working. So maybe that's the key. Like every three months, he has to get a new leg. Or every three months, he has to take three months off walking. <laughs> right. <laughs> or he just has to drag the leg around because he's got emergencies that he's got to He probably has fix. a wheelchair. Okay, yeah. I can see that. Does Hardcastle put him around in a wheelchair? <laughs> sure. It's, it's a crime buddy drama uh-huh. uh, where one of them is... <laughs> Half the time in a wheelchair, half the time a superhero. Oh. <laughs> <With> a <laughs> and the fu- other one just with, resents with a, him with the a faulty, whole time. With a faulty superpower. <laughs> right. Right. Half the time he has a bionic leg that he can leap buildings with. Mm. Half the time he can't get out of bed. Okay. <laughs> uh, that's certainly a fish out of where uh, The other pa- location. Where they have to have, like, it's got to be oh, Hawaii. Yeah. It's got to be Boulder, Colorado. It's got to be New York, New York City. It's got to be... Mm. It's got to be Lubbock, Texas. <laughs> Lubbock. Hardcastle seems like you'd be from Lubbock. It sure does, yeah. Lubbock, Texas. The heart of Lubbock. I like it. And they're hunting down drug dealers and mules and... Cattle rustlers. Cattle rustlers, sure. There's <laughs> some cattle rustling going down there. Yep. Uh, and then you got the, the Texas Walker Ranger. Walker, Walker, Texas. The Texas Walker yeah. Ranger. That's going to be the epic crossover. Oh man! Because that's like turns out that Hardcastle and Walker went to the same like police academy. Hardcastle and Stalker meets Walker. <laughs> yeah, 
and they both hate stalker <laughs> so like he's gonna have to win him in, and, and he's gonna show right. up in, in one of the three month phases where he doesn't have his foot so he's gonna have to <laughs> win him over he's gonna have to Dig deep oh, and impress man. Walker based on his non-superhero configuration. And he, he's he's unable to do it for three months. He's been trying and trying to impress Walker, get him to like him. Then finally his leg comes back online and he does the sweetest roundhouse kick. Oh. And Walker's like, oh, my God. Oh, oh my man. God. Oh, man. Uh, I was going for more the heartwarming that he's going to just, like, do solid police work and prove that you don't need a superpower okay. leg. You right. can be a disabled American. But, yeah, sure, get your like, get her super leg back, and suddenly you're worth a damn. Uh, <laughs> you won me over the sweet roundhouse kick, honestly. Uh, okay. Oh, man. 